where we're going to look at a passage in the Bible and see what that can tell us to help us know Jesus more. Now, we're following on from Easter last week when Clive looked at the big must. If you were here last week, you remember Jesus saying to Nicodemus, you must be born again. And the heading for this morning's message is the big take, the big take. So we're following on in our series. Now, when Clive and I first got married, we didn't really have much money. We put all our money into a down payment. Actually, it was the money my mother gave us for the wedding reception, and we put it into a down payment on a little uh, small flat to start our house ownership project. But we didn't have much money once we had done that, and so in our bedroom, someone gave us an old carpet, and it kind of just went around the edge of the bed because we didn't have enough to go under the bed, you know. And then we didn't have a washing machine. So Clive's mother gave us what had been Clive's grandmother's washing machine. It kind of was, I think, the very first twin tub that ever was built. It had a mangle on the top. Half of you won't even know what a mangle is, will you? Some people know what a mangle is. We had a mangle. Yay for the mangles. (laughs) You can boo for the no mangles. Anyway, I had this washing machine with a mangle, and um, it was quite interesting. In fact, when we moved up here, I was... I don't know if I could say pleased or concerned to find that its twin sister was residing in Beamish Museum. (laughs) You know the bit where the farm cottages are, that bit there? Well, go and see. There's my washing machine. Anyway, uh, a couple of years passed by, and we were able to move to a house because we were expecting Karis, and so we decided we really have got to get rid of this mangle washing machine, and we were going to buy a new one. And that's another whole story that I won't tell you now about the washing machine that Clive went out to buy and came back with the two sleeping bags instead. But anyway, it sort of has relevance on this morning because I decided, knowing that I was going to get this new washing machine, that I would save up all my washing, like a month's worth of washing. I just saved it all up, ready for this new machine. So we moved into the house, and uh, we hadn't got the new machine, and Clive's mother rang up and said, I'm coming to see your new house. Now, my mother-in-law already had a suspicion that I was a bit of a hapless homemaker and thought that of me. So I thought, quick, I've got to hide this month's worth of washing or she's going to just think I don't look after her son at all. And so in the spare room, we had a wardrobe that opened and above it was this sliding door. So I climbed up onto a chair and shoved all of the into the cupboard. And with some force, I managed to get the door shut on this cupboard. And, phew, it's out of sight. And, of course, you can probably guess where the story might be going, in that my mother-in-law swept through my home, inspecting every corner, and slid open the door before I could stop her. (laughs) And I'm sure you can imagine my mother-in-law standing there draped in a month's worth of sheets, towels, underwear, shirts. Oh, no, I didn't know what to do. Anyway, the point is this. A spare room is quite a useful place to put all the sorts of things that you want to hide, all the kind of junk, you know? Does anyone here have a spare room? Or maybe you have a cupboard under your stairs where you like to put such things. Do you have somewhere like that? Right, well, I'm gonna, I've got a little quiz now for you then. I'm going to name 20 items that people keep in their spare rooms or their under stairs cupboards, and you can award yourself 
are points for every one of these that you have, and we'll see who wins. Okay, these are the things that people keep in their spare rooms. Washing, baskets, hangers. Ta-da! You can sort of put it to the side a little. Let's have this up here. Yeah, yeah, that'll do. Lovely. Just to help you remember the things. You, you, can, you can... There we go. Drying clothes. That was supposed to be easy, that was. Here we go. Washing, drying. What else do we have in our spare rooms? Paperwork. The paperwork has come. Thank you. Spare clothes, you know, that don't quite fit in your cupboard. Thank you, Lily. Spare clothes, they probably don't fit you anymore, you know, whatever. They should have gone to the charity shop, but they're in your spare room. Luggage, because, you know, there's nowhere really for the luggage to live, is there? Here comes the luggage. Fitness equipment that you don't kind of use very often. Oh, I hope you're keeping track of all of these. Craft equipment people keep in their spare room. Things that they're always going to make, but they never quite even get out the packet. <laughs> because they've lost the knitting needles. Actually, I find it quite hard to get you this assortment of things, because now Carrie's lives with us, I don't seem to have much junk in my house anymore. <laughs> but anyway, I found some things. How about things that you take on the beach in the summer that really you don't want the rest of the year? Just got to work out how to put this up now. This is going to be interesting. <laughs> yes, you did it. Perfect. Camping equipment, there's always plenty of that in the Harding household. But when I asked for some to be brought to me for the purpose of this morning, we had a job finding some. But here's a lilo to make you comfy on your camping trip. How about old photos, photo albums, that sort of thing that you never look at. But here's some old photos. This is a bit sad, actually. Look, it's Karis's wedding. Oh, dear. <laughs> old photos. Baby equipment, when you haven't got a baby anymore in the house. You never know when someone's going to come and need one, though, do you? Toys, just in case somebody comes and needs some toys. Um, home decorating equipment. Sometimes people put that in their cupboard under the stairs. You always get a bit extra with James, don't you? It's wonderful. <laughs> tinned food. Do we have any tinned food? My mother-in-law used, and my mother, both of them, used to keep, like, spare, the extra tins of baked beans, you know, that they bought in the, when they were on offer, and they bought about 20 or something like that. They had those there. Christmas decorations. Christmas decorations. Well, there's a shopping bag. You, you can kind of turn them on if you like. They, there's a little, they do work. They do work. You can spread them out if you like. How about broken things that you intend to fix, but you haven't quite gotten around to it. No, that's not broken. That's my new Dyson. <laughs> the mop, the mop. The mop's broken. Hooray, the mop is broken. <laughs> but the hoover, okay, bring the hoover back. We'll have the hoover. Here's the hoover. Maybe there's, you know, there's nowhere else quite for it to live, and there it is. There's the hoover. How about all the spare toilet rolls that just don't quite fit in the bathroom, you know? Some people are... I can see some people are connecting with me here now. Old books. Oops. <laughs> Old books that, you know, there's not quite room for on your shelves. Last year's National Trust book I see there. But I haven't joined up this year, so I need last year's still to tell me where I could go if I did join up, you know, that kind of thing. 
things from your childhood that you just can't quite throw away. Look there. There's a picture. That's nice, isn't it? All things bright and beautiful. That, I, that's, I've, I've moved that house several times. That's moved house with me. <laughs> I think I broke the frame on the last house move, but I've still got the picture. Car or bike parts, apparently, people keep in their spare room. Car or bike parts. Wow. Thank you, Lily. So are you keeping track of this? Who had the most of those things in their spare room? Anybody have all of them? Oh! What? Three of you have all of them? How am I going to give a prize out for that? <laughs> Did any of you have none of them? Tone and joy. Okay, <laughs> Steve. All right, well, let's give a prize to the people who had all of them. That's, that's going to be Sasha at the back there. And who else had all of them? John and somebody else put, that, put their hand up too. George, right. Thank you very much. Well, I'm going to come back to that in a little bit later on. It's just stuff, right? It's just stuff, but we might need it, so we kind of hang on to it. So let's take a look at our scripture passage this morning. We're going to be reading John chapter 1, verses 9 to 13. I'm reading this from the New International Version. Can you see it over my head? The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. Now, John's gospel, if you have read it, has a very different feel to the other three gospels that we read in the Bible. And if you want a sort of little brief sort of summary, uh, Matthew's gospel tells us what Jesus said. And in particular, it's sort of aimed at the Jewish people. So Matthew's gospel tells us what Jesus said to the Jewish people. And Mark's gospel tells us what Jesus did. And then Luke's gospel tells us what Jesus said, but more to the Gentile people. That would have been you and I in that day, the, the not Jewish people. But John's gospel is more interested in who Jesus was. Who was Jesus? And John records more individual encounters than the other gospels do. Encounters where Jesus connects one-on-one -on -one with people. We read last week about Nicodemus coming to Jesus. You may remember the account of the Samaritan woman who was sitting by the well and Jesus came and had that conversation with her where he was able to unpack her life. That's only recorded in John's gospel. John has a lot of these one-on-one -on -one encounters with Jesus and individuals. So John is particularly wanting to connect us as individuals with Jesus. 
And even though I'm aware I'm speaking to a room full of people today, I, I, I want you to receive this message personally, as if it was just you sitting here today, just you sitting here. Now, please don't the rest of you leave. <laughs> but receive this as if it's Jesus wanting to connect to you. And I, my prayer is that we would all make a response to him today, not to me and to what I'm saying, but to Jesus. Let's just pray before we carry on. Lord, I thank you that your heart is to connect with us individually, Lord. You see everyone here this morning. We're all known to you, and your heart is for each one of us. Lord, we want our hearts to be for you. And we say this morning, please speak to our hearts, touch our lives, change us, make us more like Jesus. May we have that encounter with you. Amen. So John is writing to help individuals believe in Jesus and go on believing in Jesus. And he describes the kind of life that God wants us to have. He describes it both in quantity and in quality. He says, this is an abundant, eternal life that I'm offering you. It's life in all its fullness, and it's eternal. It's going on forever. And it's not supposed to be just about going to heaven. It's about how we live our lives now. So we have that abundant fullness of life experience right here now on this earth that we could get a hold of and enjoy now. So let's look at the passage. It tells us that Jesus has always existed. The world was made through him, but the world didn't recognize him. Then he was born as a man on this earth, and his own people that he came to, the Jewish people, didn't recognize him. He grew up among them as a child and a young man, and they were blind to his presence. They didn't recognize him. And they saw him growing up as the carpenter's son. They saw him making tables, and they saw him making stools, but they didn't see that he made the stars. He didn't just make the stools. He made the stars, and they didn't recognize him. And the question is, when we recognize Jesus, what are we going to do? Are we going to follow him or not? It's like coming to a fork in the road. Once we do recognize him, we've got to choose. Are we going to go that way or are we going to go that way? Are we going to follow him or not? Are we going to believe in him or not? Are we going to receive him or not? Not. And this passage tells us, yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children not born of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. So to those who did receive him, he did an amazing thing. He changed their status and he changed their state. Say to the person next to you, he, changed, he changes our status, and he changes our state. What do I mean by that? Well, this is what I mean. He changes our status by giving us the right to become 
children of God. The right to call the almighty God, who the maker of heaven and earth, all things visible and invisible, he says, you can become my child. I want to be your father. He changes our status to become his children. We're, we can come to him. We can pray the Lord's Prayer. We can say, our father, and mean it. And, you know, everyone prays that prayer. But really, he's our father when we've received him and believed in him and become his children. That's when we can pray our Father with authenticity and with confidence and with authority as we pray our Father. We're no longer orphans. And if you read through the New Testament you, into the letters and the epistles, the Apostle Paul talks about how God has adopted you. He has legally adopted you into his family. You are his heir. Everything that was belonging to Jesus, everything that Jesus has, you have as a son or daughter as well. And Paul, if you like, is emphasizing the legal aspect to this. You are legally adopted into God's family. But John is emphasizing the relational side. He's saying, you don't just become a citizen of my kingdom when you come to faith in Christ. You don't just become a worker in one of my factories or something like that. You become a child. You become a son, a daughter, a child. He's your father. It's amazing. It's, he, he totally changes your status. It's fabulous. And the second thing is that he changes your state. You're born again. You're, you become his child, and you are born again. And John explains, it's not like when you were born the first time as a baby to your earthly parents. And we heard last week how Nicodemus struggled to understand what Jesus was meaning by that. But people can be born twice. Physical birth gives you physical life, but spiritual birth gives you spiritual life. And Jesus, the divine Son of God, became human so that you, human, can take on some of the divine in your life by Jesus changing your state. He changes your status to be his child, and he changes your state to be born again, to come alive spiritually. Say to the person next to you, come alive. Come alive. Come alive. He changes your status and he changes your state. And I mean, I could stop now almost, couldn't I really? I could go home now because this is just so amazing and life-changing if we really get a hold of what this means for us and what the implications are of becoming God's children and being born again then really that's sort of enough for the next few weeks to be thinking about, isn't it? And children in this world may be wanted or unwanted. They may be planned or unplanned. They may be loved or unloved. But God has always wanted you. He's always wanted you. 
and he's just been waiting for you to come home. When we receive Jesus, he changes our status and he changes our state, and it changes everything. It is, it is a seismic, massive change. And if you truly understand this, you can't go back. You can't be unborn. And you choose to go down that fork in the road that says, follow me. You've chosen a different path. Now, if this born again as God's children is so amazing and so life-changing, how do we enter into that experience? Now, there are two clues or key words in this passage, and they are these, receive and believe. Those are the two key words. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, born again, born from above. Receive and believe. Those are the two actions that enable us to be born again spiritually, born from above, and to become God's children. So let's look at believe, first of all. Now, in John's gospel, John uses the word believe nearly a hundred times. Well, if you want to be a bit legalistic, it's sort of 98, actually. <laughs> 98 times. I can't do a point. But he says believe or believing 98 times. And that is more than it's used in all the other three gospels, more than Matthew, Mark, and Luke put together. John particularly uses this word. And he uses the word believe in three kinds of ways. There are three slightly different ways you could use this word believe. And number one has to do with credibility. Credibility. Something being credible. And that would be like saying, I believe that Jesus exists. Or I believe that Jesus walked on this earth. You're believing the facts. I believe that. I believe that Jesus walked on this earth. I believe that Jesus exists. So that's saying, I, ha I, ha I believe Jesus was credible. The challenge with that, of course, is, as many people will have pointed out to you, no doubt, that even the devil believes that. <laughs> he believes Jesus existed. And so whilst uh, believing to that level can be the start of what we would call saving faith, in itself it's not enough just believing the facts, the credibilityness of it all. And the second thing that John means when he uses this word, if uh, you like, is confidence. And that's a step beyond just credibility. It's saying, well, I'm going to put my confidence in Jesus then. I'm going to trust him. I'm going to give him my life. I'm going to uh, take that step over the line, if you like, into becoming a believer of Jesus or a Christian. And so I'm going to trust him. I'm going to try and obey him. I'm going to have confidence in him. So you can stop at the credible line, if you like, where you just believe in him, or you can step a bit further into the confidence line where you say, I'm going to put my trust in Jesus. But there is a third believing that John wants you to know about, and that is this, credible confident, continuing, continuing believing. It's like the sort of part, what is it, present continuous? I'm rubbish at grammar. But it's, it's like the present continuous. It's now, but ongoing. It's not just today. It's tomorrow as 
well. And that's the kind of believing that John is talking about in this passage, going on believing in Jesus. When we believe in him and we go on believing in him, we don't just believe in him because we feel warm and fuzzy in the worship time on the Sunday morning. We keep on believing in him, whether things are going well or they're more of a challenge, whether uh, things are smooth or things are rough. We make that decision to keep on following him. The original Greek word there carries a sense that almost you could say believing into Jesus. So that sense of really our heart involvement and that continuing believing in him. So to believe in Jesus is not just believing the facts, it's to accept him in every way in an ongoing fashion, to accept his teaching and his example, and to have it be binding on our lives and how we live. There's a song, I won't sing because I'm not that brilliant at singing, but some people could probably help me out, and it, and it says, I've decided to follow Jesus. You know that one? I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. Wait for it. No turning back. No turning back. That's what it means. No turning back. I've decided. I'm believing. And I'm not turning back. That's what this means. So the sense here is to those who believe, all those ways of believing, and make that um, decision of not turning back. What about receive? Let's look at that. Now, how many of you have heard someone, could be me even here, or in another church, talking about receiving Jesus into your life? I bet it's more than that, really. We, we say, would you like to receive Jesus into your life? We say that, yeah? Maybe there's some nice soft music. <laughs> you know, because it's, it's, we want our hearts to be touched. We say, would you like to receive Jesus into your life? Please, <laughs> would you receive Jesus into your life? Even, we might say. And listen, there's nothing wrong with that. That is what this Bible verse says. It says to all who receive him. And to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Listen, the problem is not in the verse. It's in what we think it might mean. There's nothing wrong with the Bible. We are the problem. Because there's receive and there's receive. Did you hear the difference? <laughs> I don't know. I didn't mean there to be a difference particularly. But there is a difference. Let's go back to the spare room that I started with uh, in the beginning. Because here's the thing. We may receive Jesus into our lives in the same way that we would receive someone into our spare room. And we sort of squash him in to a little space in our lives in a cupboard or a spare room. And we're not always prepared to chuck our own junk out of the spare room and we kind of maybe go and say hello on Sundays to him 
and squash him in with all the other stuff that's in there. And then we shut the door and go off and live our lives. But Jesus wants the whole house. He wants the whole house. He wants to be received in all of your life. He wants not just to be received in all of your life and your house. He wants to rearrange the furniture and chuck stuff out and redecorate and change everything. <laughs> That's what it means to, to receive him. He wants to make himself completely at home in your life in every way, not just in the spare room. You can't say to Jesus, come into my life, I receive you, but you can't come into the room where I keep my money. And you can't actually come into the room which has got my social life there, especially not Friday night. And if you come into the room where the television is, well, uh, maybe I won't turn it on when you're there, but actually, I'd rather you didn't come into my television room or where my laptop is kept or where I'm on the internet or whatever it is. That's not how this works, this believing and receiving thing. When we receive Jesus, he wants the whole house. Amen? Now, I think I, I sort of was thinking when I was preparing this message and remembering, Clive and I last year started using Airbnb. And uh, we've had some quite positive experiences with Airbnb. Who's used Airbnb? Anyone had a bad experience? <laughs> Those two. Jane, a little bit nearly close. Well, we, we've had one that was kind of not quite so lovely. And the problem comes when you book your Airbnb place to stay, but you don't look at it quite well enough, and you don't realize that instead of booking the whole house, actually the person that you're going to stay with is going to move out and sleep on the sofa and give you their room, and actually you haven't got the whole house at all. The people are still living in the house, Doug and Lillian nodding as if they got like that. Clive and I stayed last year in a house uh, down near Oxford, and um, we went down for a service there and we booked this room and the owners said we're not going to be there that weekend but just make yourself at home but actually when we got there we we didn't have the whole house they had kind of converted the garage <laughs> and it was kind of nice it was okay but it was kind of narrow and long and the bed sort of pulled down and went back up again out of the way so that you could move in the rest of the time that you were there. And every time you opened a cupboard, out fell all their garden equipment or the kids' swimming costumes or something else fell out, you know. And it was like, oh, I, I think we're in their summer sort of garden room here and it was their garage and they're not here at all and we couldn't get in the house because it was locked. So it can be a little bit like that. Now, Charles Spurgeon was a famous uh, Baptist pastor back in the 1800s and something. People called him the Prince of Preachers, and he put it a little bit like this. He was trying to explain how we think we're doing God some kind of favor, inviting him into a little part of our life, and it's not like that at all. He's doing us the favor, making us his children, and causing us to be born again. And he said, we think we're sort of holding out our little cup, like Andy spoke of earlier on, and we'll let him sort of put a little bit of something in it, 
But actually, it's not like that at all. We should be holding out our empty cup to his massive, massive waterfall that's God. Thank you. We're the little cup. He's the massive waterfall. That's how we receive him. He wants to pour into your life and completely fill you and fill every room and chuck out the junk and redecorate and rearrange and totally fill you. Amen. That's what it means to receive Jesus. We clear out the junk. That's what repent means. And if you find the junk creeping back in again, you clear it out again and you make space for God so that he will feel right at home in your life. And so really that's my message this morning. We receive him and we keep on believing in him. He changes your status and he changes your state. We can be truly born again, made spiritually alive, and he gives us the wonderful honor and privilege of being his children. Amen? I want to pray. I'd like to pray three things for you. Remember those three ways of believing. One way you believe the facts, the next one where you put your confidence in God, and the next one where you carry on believing. And maybe some of you here this morning are only just at the believing the facts bit. You've never made that step of saying, I am going to put my confidence in this Jesus. I'm going to go further than just believing he existed. And I am going to believe in him and put my confidence in him and receive him into my life for the first time maybe. And we're going to pray for you in a moment if that's you. And then I would like to pray for the rest of us. But let's pray a prayer together now. And if you are praying this prayer, a prayer to say to Jesus that I believe in you and I want to receive you. If you're praying that and you've never really, really properly done that before, then God is listening out for you this morning. Remember, this is all about Jesus connecting one-on-one, him and you, him and you. He's connecting with you as individuals this morning. So we're going to all pray this prayer, because it would be mean to make you pray it out on your own if that's you. And so we're going to all pray it together. But if you are praying that for the first time, then Jesus is listening to you. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you came from God to forgive me and rescue me. I believe that because of what you've done on the cross, my sins are forgiven, my past is washed away, and I can have a new life and a new future in you. I gladly receive you as my Lord, my Savior, and my friend. Please come into my life right now so that I can be born again and keep on believing in you. Thank you. Amen.
Amen. Now, if you've prayed that and meant it for the very first time, you have done an amazing thing because you've totally changed your life. And we would love to talk to you at the end of the service. Why don't Stephen Kaz, you just stand up right now so people know who you are. These guys who were leading the meeting are going to be standing at the back. And if you've prayed that prayer for the first time, don't go without speaking to them because we want to help you and uh, really encourage you as you go on following and you go on believing. Amen? Let's just shut our eyes for a moment. And if there's anyone here, while nobody is singling you out, that prayed that prayer and you would uh, want to go on following Jesus and you've stepped over that line this morning, would you just raise your hand with me? We're not looking. I'm the only one looking. Don't miss that moment. Okay, thank you. Let's pray now, all of us. Would you stand up with me? And I want us to pray. If you feel that you you know Jesus, but maybe he's just got squashed out a little bit. He's sort of, you've moved him to the dining room or the kitchen or the spare room and there's less of him and more of you in your life and less of him and more junk come back into your life and you want to put your cup out like under that stream of water and say Lord forgive me fill me again I want to receive more of you then I'm going to pray for you and if you feel I've been someone who's said I believe but I'm sort of in and out a bit and I believe when I feel good and then I don't sort of, maybe I'm only believing on Sundays and Wednesdays or Sundays and city group night, but you want to say, no, I'm going to follow. No turning back. No turning back. And I want to pray for you too. Okay? So, just for 30 seconds, let's put our, if you want to receive more of that fullness of Jesus in your life put your hands out like you're the empty cup like you're the empty cup and let's all pray you can pray uh, pray out loud because that really has a power in it but you can pray quietly or noisily but pray out loud and ask God to fill you again and after 30 seconds I'm going to pray for us all okay let's pray now Lord we thank you God I thank you for your heart for us I thank you fill me again Lord Fill me again, Lord. I clear out the junk. I'm sorry, Lord, if I've squashed you into a part of my life. Fill me again, Jesus, I pray. Thank you for your presence now, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Lord, I thank you that you see every one of us here with our hands outstretched to you today. You see our hearts. You see our desires. Lord, we're sorry if we've allowed junk back into our lives and we've crowded out the space that we once gave to you. We're sorry if we've allowed things to crowd out the time that we once gave to you. We're sorry if we've crowded out the, that sense of separateness and sacred and holy unto you that we had in our lives with things that have crept back in to our lives, Lord, because today we want to follow you wholeheartedly. Fill us again. Have the whole house, Lord. 
see our hands held out to you and have the whole house. Today, Lord, we say you can change the furniture, you can redecorate, you can make yourselves yourself right at home in our lives today, Lord Jesus. And Father, if we've been a bit in and out, God, I pray today, we resolve that we will follow. We resolve today, no turning back. If that's, if you want to put that on your lips, let's say together, no turning back. And Lord, that's our heart today. Lord, whatever the road is like, we're sticking to that road that we've chosen. Whether there's bumps or bends, Lord, we are following you down that road, Lord. There's no turning back for us because you have won our hearts completely, Lord. You've changed everything. You've made us your children. You are our Father. You've made us yours, your sons and your daughters, Lord, and you've caused us to come alive spiritually, to be born again into a new spiritual life. So today we thank you, we bless you, we love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen.